You're listening to The Three of Witches, a podcast where we explore themes around the lived experiences of witches and pagans. I'm Rosemary. I'm Red. And I'm Fern. And this week we are going to be discussing the ethics of historical and modern witchcraft practices. This week we are going to uh, start with the you know history of witchcraft, uh, specifically in the traditions that we specifically that we you know follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I practice primarily Hellenic polytheism. So I looked into ancient Greek practices and folk practices and attitudes towards. Uh, witchcraft and, and, and that sort of thing, and, and Rosemary. Um, yeah, I am an Irish pagan, so I was looking into the um, Irish history uh, and ideas around ethics and, and witchcraft there. Um, not as much <laughs> as uh, Red found. Red might have found too much. Yes, <laughs> too much. Um, but I think um, I think we are going to start with Red. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Fern had a harder time. <laughs> yes, so I primarily work with Sumerian uh, polytheism and a little bit with Norse where there's plenty in there, but we wanted to kind of narrow down if we had three and a neo-pagan perspective, we would have, I don't know, a three hour podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Which might be fun, but not prefer to edit. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, maybe if we ever stream something, we'll go for three hours. That's true. Yeah. But not unless y'all are paying us. So, <laughs> no. But uh, realistically, we know no one's going to listen to a three hour podcast in one sitting. So, in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Get in your car and drive somewhere. Yeah. So, we broke it up for um, Red to do Hellenic, me to do Irish, and, and then Fern to do. Well, we'll kind of move into a discussion with yeah, yeah. neo paganism and, and Wicca and modern witchcraft yeah. from there. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. once we get into that, then we're going to go into how we specifically go about ethical, being ethical witches and what does that mean. And, um, you know, that there isn't, since there isn't a centralized text of this is how to be a good witch, you know, how do we navigate that? Mm-hmm. But so starting out with ancient Greece and their ideas of it, you know, this is not shocking magical practitioners were not viewed in the most positive of of lights uh primarily you know magic was something that was utilized by the gods that the gods were the ones who were the ones doing the miracles were the ones doing shape-shifting you know causing these supernatural quote-unquote paranormal things to happen you know, that it wasn't so much within the hands of the the people and that there was actually quite a lot of folk practices against guarding against uh, curses and spells, guarding against, um, you know, attacks from magical workers. And what was interesting is, so a couple of years ago, I was a Tumblr child. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I, I occasionally go back on there just to like get whiplash and then get back off. I'm still a Tumblr child good (laughs) there's i mean there's still a lot on there and i think there's a lot of interesting discourse and um all of all of that the internet is interesting interesting place but uh there was you know a discourse a couple of years ago especially in the reconstructionist realms about whether if you're a reconstructionist 
Hellenic practitioner should you even do witchcraft? Because if we're saying that the ancient peoples primarily saw magical works as evil and ill intent, that the word witchcraft has an evil ill intent behind it, we really shouldn't be doing quote unquote witchcraft. Uh, but folk practices you know what is witchcraft that is a whole other conversation you could argue that a lot of these folk practices that were to you know these protective amulets these you know going to other practitioners who would lift a curse off of you is that not witchcraft right and i a little the little bit um i guess i'll insert a little bit about sumerian kind of um, not necessarily witchcraft because i don't think that they would have called it witchcraft but there was a common practice and a common belief in spirits and ghosts that they were just everywhere. And that essentially these, like what we probably call an exorcism in a modern day, you had a ghost attached to you. So you went and you bought an amulet from someone and that would solve that problem. I think in modern day, we would call that witchcraft. Mm -hmm. yeah. But is that, is that different? Because there is a historical basis for it. And it sounds like that was the practice for the Greeks as well that that wasn't necessarily witchcraft. Yeah. That was a folk practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think the an interesting thing is that the act of, like, getting and using an amulet might not be viewed as witchcraft today, but the act of making that amulet would, I think, to us, be viewed as witchcraft. Right. I would I would call my, consider, if I was making an amulet for myself or for one of you, mm -hmm. I would call that yeah. a witchcraft practice. Mm -hmm. But someone else might not. So. Yeah, true. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the term around witchcraft has obviously changed through centuries and, and all of that. But for the, for the ancient Greeks specifically, you know, that to be an ethical, magical practitioner was only for protective type things. Mm -hmm. And that you really were supposed to rely on the gods to, to provide that protection. Really, you should be making sure you're doing your prayers and that you, your house spirits are happy, um, that you're being a good person. And then, you know, otherwise you, you, you're fine as well as, um, you know, they were very concerned about purity and pollution. Mm -hmm. I read a very long book and I loved it. It was um, Inner uh, Purity and Pollution by Petrovic by Andre. Yes, Andre Petrovic and Ivana Petrovic. Very good. If you're interested in any of that stuff, it, uh, it goes into kind of how they viewed you know purity and, and pollution. It didn't go so much into magical practitioner, you know, what that kind of stuff was, but that really heavily informed their day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually have a question about this. So yes. you were relying on the gods and kind of, I guess, their favor in a sense to protect you, to prevent, you know, harm, to um, do the witchcraft for you in a, in a way we could think about it that way. Do, was there any sort of uh, maybe class issue where the priest maybe they had to do something or was it your daily practice that you were uh, like a pious person that practiced daily in your life? Or was there um, like a, what we might see in some modern practices, maybe not so much in a pagan practice, but that you had the priest being perhaps above or more connected and therefore um, you should listen to them. Was that ever an issue that you saw? Issue? I don't know if I would say an issue. I'd say it was frequent. I don't think it okay. was viewed as an issue. I think it was 
um, very much a thing where you would go to a, a priest because, but priests, I wouldn't say would do quote unquote magic again in their conception of magic. We right. might consider blessings, banishings, you know, cleansings. You could definitely maybe call that witchcraft, mm-hmm. but I don't think that they viewed it in, in right. that way. And, you know, there is uh Hecate, Hecate, um, who is a goddess of witchcraft right. and her priestesses would, um, you know, at least in, in plays. And, and I, I looked at Euripides, um, you know, version of uh, Medea and she's a priestess of um, Hecate or Hecate, however you want to say it. Um, but uh, that she had, you know, these magical sorceress uh, abilities. And she's kind of in, at least in Euripides' version, she's kind of painted as a villain, mainly because she kills her children. Um, <laughs> she's a little villainous. That might, that might, <laughs> might, might paint you as a villain. I can't blame anyone for well, that. Yeah, but. there's that. Um, but so, you know, there. if you were a priestess of this goddess, then certainly you could be considered as practicing witchcraft. And mm-hmm. like Circe practiced witchcraft. Um, so again, like in, in mythology, you do see those practices, but those characters are usually cast in much more villainous roles than um, like someone you would go to for help, like right. like you would go to for a priest. Right. A priest is doing a religious, right. um, quote unquote, magical folk practice. So I think that's kind of like, where does the line of folk practice and witchcraft and right. religious practice? Yeah, it's, 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 that's a tough one. Yeah, I I guess I was just, uh, you answered my question. I just was curious about the dynamic perhaps Mm -hmm. between the everyday person who wasn't a priest, maybe didn't have that more direct connection, Mm -hmm. but was reverent in the home versus what the role of a priest would be in that case. Mm -hmm. Okay. Rosemary in, in that, uh, you know, way, thinking about folk practices. Mm-hmm. I know that you said you had looked into folk practices and especially like Ireland. Mm-hmm. Would they have considered that witchcraft or, you know, what, what, what was the ideas about witchcraft in ancient Ireland? It's hard to tell. I did not have as much to go off of as you did. Um, and I mean, I do want to say I, I am learning. And if anyone listening happens to know of a specific source on like, Irish ethics when it comes to witchcraft I would love to hear it but I didn't see a whole lot that had to do with a general view or rule on how you should use witchcraft or what is a wrong way necessarily to use witchcraft um I the the things that I saw that were more specific were more were specifically about cursing and even then it's still not fully clear um but um, yeah I there isn't a whole lot of specific things in Irish uh, history that I saw uh, when it comes to ethics I had to get a bit more creative in how it was looking right and I think one thing that we didn't touch on in the beginning of the episode that I would like to is that the term witchcraft is um I it, it has changed and evolved and different cultures will view it differently and not every culture is going to call something witchcraft yeah um and that in our modern day I think a lot of us who do consider themselves practitioners of witchcraft or a witch um, are very open to using that term for a lot of different kind of broad areas. And that I personally kind of view it as like maybe a unifying term for different practices in my personal life. 
but historically it could have been seen as something very negative and not something you want to label something as yeah so that's important to also note like our views on what we're going to call witchcraft are going to vary in our culture in historically where what that culture's viewpoint was and plenty of other factors but like living in america we do have a wonderful privilege of saying i'm a witch and most likely not being burnt to the stake for it <laughs> most likely <laughs> but there are other parts of the world even in modern day yeah. that that is a title you do not want to have and someone in that culture might consider a folk practice that's protective to be perfectly fine and you do not want someone to call it witchcraft mm-hmm. so i don't want anyone to think that something we're extrapolating to call witchcraft is harmful or devilish or demonic simply because we're using that term we do not mean it in that way <laughs> yeah yeah which is why i think you know with the hellenic reconstructionists they're saying we shouldn't say witchcraft mm-hmm. because in most conceptions witchcraft is a negative term for those who do baneful magic against other people that are curses and if you want to do folk practices you know go at it and it's you know fantastic that the neo-pagans want to reclaim a term but if you're a reconstructionist you like that that shouldn't be part of your Mm-hmm. And and this is a conversation that happened between a few people. I'm sure there are reconstructionists who are fine with the witchcraft and the witchcraft term and, and all of that. But it's it is an interesting way of thinking of, you know, what were ancient peoples that we are basing a lot of our practices off of and reviving a lot of our practices off of, um, you know, how did they view it? And let's be be mindful of that, at least. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, did anyone, I didn't specifically find any examples of curses. By examples, do you mean like a step-by-step how to do No, this? no, no, no. But like, I don't know if you, you found anything in regards to, to curses uh, specifically in Irish magic well, or. The, the interesting thing about um, Irish curses that I saw is to begin with, they, there's a very rich history of cursing in, in Ireland. Like, up until the 1960s like there's a lot of um a lot of um history behind that word and there were examples in the sense of (laughs) there were were actually a lot of stories uh where uh tenants would curse their landlords (laughs) and that was that was a, a very important part of cursing that i saw is it was often used as a weapon that the marginalized could use against those that were hurting them. And it wasn't seen as bad. That being said, there was the belief that if your curse was not justified, if you did not actually have the grounds to do it, it would rebound on you. Hmm. So yeah, cursing was kind of seen as the same thing, like the other side of the coin as like healing magic. It was the power itself is does not hold any moral value it's what you do with it and the circumstances that surround your actions so i guess kind of thinking examples wise and obviously you might not have had very specific examples but like let's think about your 
a farmer who has who is the tenant of their landlord mm-hmm. and you're I will speak for example you, you you live in an agrarian society your lifestyle your income is dependent on let's mm-hmm. say sheep and your landlord decides that the sheep has done something and they kill it cursing in response would probably be considered fine yeah but um your landlord pets your sheep and you didn't like it that's a different story <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um i like there was one story where um like they cursed their landlord like and the landlord died successful curse but it did um that story noted that there were repercussions to the point of um uh, it said that the misfortune found anyone who had a part in the cursing one person lost an eye one person lost a leg and what I find most interestingly, one person lost his reason, which I just, I interpreted that as his mind or his logical thinking. Um, he went mad. Yeah. <laughs> so, which, I mean, it could be a sense of cursing would have been okay, but you, it was too strong of a curse and killing the landlord was not an appropriate outcome. So the curse rebounded is kind of how I was thinking about it. Um but there there also was another type of curse so um curses just as a, a the noun for that is uh, malakti uh singular being malakt um and as far as i understood it that was an umbrella term and a more there was a more specific type of curse called a pishog which this is where it gets a bit more murky because it's definitely a nastier kind of curse but i wasn't seeing things about this rebounding <laughs> so a pishog is something where, like, if you had a spat with your neighbor, you would go to their fields and bury like, a rotten egg or meat in the ground. And as the egg or the meat rotted, so did their plants and the luck. Which, of course, if we're thinking about that now and today, it's like, it's like shitty. But then we have to remember these were an agrarian society, and if you killed their crops, you killed their livelihood and potentially them. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a huge curse but i wasn't seeing things about that necessarily rebounding mm-hmm. so you know it's murky there's not a clear-cut answer here um and i also wanted to talk about the mythology aspect of things um where i think it's really important to see how magic was viewed in the myths um Unfortunately, I'm mostly seeing it from what the gods are doing. It's not the mortal heroes wielding the magic, but still, I think, paints a picture of how magic is viewed. Um, and the one thing I wanted to talk about to give a little bit of background is a very common thing in the Irish uh, mythology is the idea of a, of a gesh, which is like a supernatural taboo. It's typically part of, part of a contract that heroes would have with the other world, and that contract kind of gives them power. So if you violated one of your gish or some other part of the contract, bad things happen. Um, and typically it would be in the ones I saw, the goddess five would kind of come for your ass. Um, and typically she would force the heroes into situations where they broke more of their gishy. Like the main uh, example would be uh, the hero Cuckoo Lane who um he had already fucked up in the mythology and had essentially disrespected the morgan and then um 
Vive came along and tricked him in that he had two geishi, one that he could not turn down hospitality, and two that he could not eat dog meat. And posing as like an old woman, uh, or three old women, she invited him to dine at her fireside and then offered him dog meat. So regardless, he was going to break one of his geishi. And in these stories with Kukuli or with other heroes, when they break their geshi, that typically results in one, their power declining, and then typically their death. I mean, this isn't a curse per se, it's really more like by forcing them to curse themselves. But it is viewed as something that like, or I don't want to say it is, it is viewed or it was viewed because I don't know if maybe there's more context that changes that, but I, my understanding is that that's viewed as like they had it coming they fucked up they are going to reap what they have sown and that's not it was not a negative or bad thing per se that five made this happen um and additionally there are myths where the morgan you see her raining fire and blood onto the enemies onto her enemies like during battle again not really something like a curse but definitely not healing <laughs> it's, it's something that is meant to cause harm and is meant to benefit directly benefit the caster and those on her side and again that's not it wasn't seen as bad like you, you kind of want to be on her side and you know again it's a goddess doing this it's not a human or a mortal doing it but i do think it kind of helps to explain how magic was viewed and I would, I would interpret it as magic is viewed as a weapon that you wield. You can wield it poorly and hurt yourself uh, and others, or you can wield it justly and protect people and yourself. So there was this balance that mm-hmm. you, this power exists. Yeah. There's no question about that. But what you do with it will affect not only the outcome of that individual event but perhaps your your future your life so being i suppose in this case since we're talking about ethics being ethical would only benefit you like if you were unethical it could have major backlash in your life or to others yeah um yeah you needed to consider how you were what the consequences of the power you were using had Mm -hmm. um definitely would not be something you would want to do in the heat of the moment is there anything else you would like to discuss with this because it kind of reminds me of one of the more um newer kind of very common discussions with like the what's considered the threefold law Mm -hmm. which is the idea that something you do will return three times yeah which um i i don't have anything more specific to say Mm -hmm. um other than I just want to read one thing that I saw. Okay. <laughs> An 8th century hem from the church um, that was supposed to uh, protect against the spells of women and smiths and druids because blacksmiths were kind of viewed as having an uh, intrinsic connection to magic. Um, and I don't really have anywhere to go with that. I just think it's really cool and funny that it's like protect against spells of women smiths and druids well i (laughs) the way i will interpret this is that i need to become a blacksmith because i am both a woman and 
I suppose, depending upon your definition of where a druid falls, mm-hmm. but I'm, you know, the, the, the neo-pagan yeah. version of druid. So. <laughs> um, but, and then I did also want to say when we were starting to transition to talk about the threefold law, that, I mean, the threefold law, as we know it, doesn't really connect fully with what I'm explaining about right. other stuff. But there is the idea mm-hmm. that if you fuck up, it is going to rebound on you. It doesn't right. necessarily say three times is bad, but like, right. there is the idea of your power rebounding if it is not fair. Right. Which, not the same thing, but you can see that thread of connection. Exactly. And that's kind of where I wanted to go, is they aren't necessarily the same. But it's a common idea that you hear, especially... Um, in Wiccan circles and online and for new pagans, you hear the threefold law or new pagans or witches, I should clarify. You hear about the threefold law and it's an interesting idea. And um, I don't I don't necessarily think the idea is poor, but a lot of people will use it as a justification for saying that someone else is wrong in their practice. Yeah. And that where I want to lead the discussion moving forward is that uh, there are a couple sort of rules that apply to certain groups that have also been extrapolated to the wider pagan and witchcraft net and sometimes not rightfully so i 100 percent agree because i've definitely seen the wiccan read just repeated kind of everywhere regardless of um, whether or not the person is wiccan or regardless of whether or not the person saying the read considers it wicked themselves because there is often the belief that this is just the this is just what witchcraft is right and you shouldn't um disrespect that read right which is frustrating when we've already talked about historical bases of witchcraft right and so i want to say what is the read referring to and it's the typically people are referring to um, i believe there's a longer wiccan read but the the phrase and and if it harm none, do what thou will. And um, so the idea is harm no one, do whatever you want is a common common uh, interpretation. So the harm no one is really where we're focusing right now. So Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of what where the conversation about curses is, is that cursing is a harmful magic you are not cursing someone if you wish them well yeah the intent is inherent yes the intent is inherently malicious mm-hmm. in some way it can be smally smally malicious that's not a phrase <laughs> it can be you know in a slight way or a large way but what i what i thought of just kind of going back to the the threefold i think it's also grounded in this western idea of karma mm-hmm. and this this it, this idea of law of attraction and kind of what you put out comes back to you and again this western idea of karma karma of like what you do will come back to you so if you do something good something good will happen to you if you do something bad something bad will happen to you which is why a lot of why i see a lot of arguments just against cursing blanket statement do not curse because you are doing a bad action if you do a bad action something bad is going to happen to you so you shouldn't do that bad action period end statement right and I want to clarify something. When you say Western idea of karma, could you elaborate on that? Because the term karma is not a Western term. Yes. So when most people, and by most people, I mean um, English speaking Western world 
when we say karma, what I would say is, you know, your, your common idea of, uh, just random aside, I don't know if you've ever watched My Name is Earl, but I think that is like the perfect encapsulation of kind of what the Western world thinks of as karma. Of you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. Mm-hmm. If you do good things, good things will happen to you. Like, oh, people say karma is a bitch when, you know, we think of karma like someone, I don't know, littering and then they get hit by a car. Like, like oh, instant karma. We mm-hmm. say stuff like that. Right. And the actual, I don't want to say actual karma, but where the the word the karma, the origin of karma is in Hinduism, and that is more about your um, karmic reincarnation. Right. And so what's happening to you in this life relates to a past life. And this life relates to a future a life. future it's life. much bigger picture. It's much more, more like your net. Yes. Yeah. Your net karma. So it's not like you pick up a can that someone littered and then you win the lottery. Yeah. So so more Hindu view of if you got hit by a car, maybe in a past life something happened or you know, again, I'm not a maybe you hit someone else. Exactly. <laughs> in a past life and now you're reaping what you've sown or again I'm I'm no expert. Sorry I just hit you. <laughs> Karma will get you. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Um <laughs> But so so the Western idea of karma is far more immediate and in this life itself. So I think that when, um, I don't know, you know, chicken, egg, whether that informed a lot of Wiccan ideas or whether right. New Age informed a lot of Wiccan ideas or Wiccan, Wiccan informed a lot of, you know, whatever kind mm-hmm. of way. Right. There is this idea of do bad thing, yeah. bad thing happen. Well, right. And as we're talking, it's just making me think of the, the idea of the Geshe that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. which is kind of related to the do bad things, bad things happen to you. Like, hold up your oaths, hold up what you're doing, what you've said you'll do, and good things will happen. And if you don't, the gods will get you, kind of. Um, which is kind of related to that, but I mean, I'm definitely biased. I would still argue it's slightly more of a nuanced version of that. Um, and not as simple as do bad things or uh, do bad things and bad things will happen to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Um also, aside, before we go into the next topic, um, the what you've labeled as Western view of karma, which I would agree, um, I distinctly remember for a period of time, I called it white people karma. And every time I said it, everyone looked at me like I had three heads. And I was like, that's not what karma is. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it as long as we can say that like this is the Western idea of what karma is. Right. If you hold that belief, power to you. Right. I this just think, is not where karma comes from. Though. I just think using the word karma is um, not the best choice. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. that's that's my opinion. But yeah, and we can get into that a little bit more and kind of why I might think that. Um, maybe not specifically karma, but talking about that in a little bit. So one thing, kind of on the flip side of the read, the threefold law, we've we've said that that is definitely in a Wiccan circle and commonly apply to other people and like people will take that viewpoint and consider someone wrong for what they've done. But there are other sides to that coin perhaps where in more of the occult practices. And when I say occult, I mean with like an O not in a singular religious cult, (laughs) but in the occult practices, there is also more of the idea. uh, If you're looking at what, 
Crowley said, and his maxim is literally very similar to the read, but it's uh, do what thou wilt be the whole of the law. So do what you want. There is no discussion of if it harms another, if it harms yourself. Um, and I guess I, I think it's important to mention this because um, witchcraft isn't that separated from the occult. Um, whether or not witchcraft is the occult or the occult is part of witchcraft, like I don't want to get into that, but I think it's important to mention here that um, when we go into mentioning perspectives, that nothing is ever going to be one-sided and not everyone is going to agree with something. So moving from that, we can kind of discuss what ethics might be applied to witchcraft uh, and not just Wicca. So Wicca itself is a specific practice. It's more religious, uh, spiritual, whatever label you feel is correct, but it's not just witchcraft. Witchcraft is not necessarily Wiccan. <laughs> Um, and that's a, we've mentioned this before, that's a common misconception. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's confusing. There's a lot of terms. It's understandable why they might be kind of construed for each other, but they're not necessarily inherently the same. So with that, um, witchcraft and folk practices are practiced by a lot of people. And it's a wide, wide net that you're looking at here. And Again, because there are so many different practices, so many different ways to do the craft, there is not one single document, no doctrine for what is moral, ethical, what is right in witchcraft. And so um, you're going to have different groups, such as Wiccans, who have their set, and you're going to have individual practitioners. And... So you're going to get a lot of different values, ethical systems, but um, let's say we're speaking to a newer person who would like to consider themselves a witch and wants to do so ethically. So what are some sort of considerations you might want to understand in your development of your own ethics and how you want to approach the craft? Um, I have a little list here, but before I get started, do either of you want to kind of touch on anything that's maybe you didn't think about when you were starting and is really important to you now, or you hear from people who are starting and are afraid of um, maybe how would they go about, like what what's one consideration you think is important? I think for me, it was always consideration was consent. Mm -hmm. and autonomy i'm i'm really big on autonomy and free will and every person is their own microcosm their own universe and i really ultimately have no right to influence that so mm -hmm. a lot of what i have considered ethical witchcraft has been about honoring that and so which is why i'm very opposed to love spells that would you know stomp all over that um also because i like it when people like me and not just could you explain an example of a, a love spell that's going to maybe one like is there one that doesn't interfere with that belief and is there an example that does 
Oh yeah. So, you know, for instance, if you want to build your confidence or make yourself more attractive through whatever means, you know, magically there's glamour magic. There's so there's all this sort of stuff. If it is about your own person and making your own person more open to love or more open to new experiences or, or increasing the way, you know, changing the way you hold yourself and doing magical practices to make an aura around yourself that is attractive like that. I, I consider that ethical because that doesn't, force anything and that is within the bounds of your own autonomy mm-hmm. or even um you know asking for you know there maybe there's someone you have a crush on and you really really want them to like you what you could do is do a spell of i don't know again opening yourself up to opportunity or you could um you know, see what, what you could do to, to be more involved in that person's life. For instance, they like to play soccer. How can I make myself better at soccer? So I look like hot when I'm like kicking balls and shit. So I guess kicking balls and taking names. (laughs) (laughs) I guess with that idea, the spell would, in that case would be, uh, to perhaps, you know, improve your physical strength so you can get better at soccer. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't violate the bounds of someone's autonomy. So, so if you have a crush on someone, you know, you don't want to have a spell that, you know, I'm going to make Jacob fall in love with me. That's not great. Not great because mm-hmm. you're, you know, if we're, let's assume that the spell works. Let's assume that what you're going to do is right. We're not saying that it's not going to work. Let's say it works. You know, what does that lead to, really? If you're forcing someone to fall in love with you, or you're forcing a specific person to be interested in you, or you're changing the way that their energy, whatever, the way their path is in life to be redirected to to you, um, it's really not... It's not, I don't consider that ethical because that is violating someone's consent. That's violating someone's autonomy. And it it's about honoring other people. And also like, you know, not everyone you have a crush on wants to be with you. Not everyone that you're attracted to wants to be with you. Mm-hmm. And maybe right now in your life, you kind of need to focus on yourself and who you are and that will lead to 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 love my kind of where it gets interesting is like how do you ethically curse and for me um you know kind of going back to what rosemary was talking about in terms of a just curse i think that that is where you can you can still ethically curse you don't have to throw your ethics and your morals out the window if you're you've made the decision to curse um you can still do it in a way that um can either honor someone's autonomy i've seen where someone just you know will do a mirror box whatever energy you're shoving at me i'm just going to reflect back to you and if that person is being abusive malicious whatever you're really not doing anything you're not violating their autonomy you're just putting their bullshit back at them mm-hmm. okay. you could consider that a curse an ethical curse a way mm-hmm. of not violating someone's you know consent or someone's autonomy I agree with pretty much everything you've said. And I will say like that kind of, I've never cursed anyone, but that, that has always been my view of what I think I would do if I cursed someone. 
And I'm not going to say that like if you do a more specific curse or something that does violate their autonomy, that's wrong because the reasons for cursing get so complicated and like that is that's not a, a, anything you can make a broad sweeping statement about. Um, but I do, I've always liked the idea of like um, what you have made me feel and what you've done to me, I will reflect back at you or I want you to understand what you have done to others and like I want you to feel what you, how you've made others feel. That's the kind of cursing I have liked. But again, I've never had the felt like I was in a position that I needed to use it. Um, and I do agree with your idea of love spells and that, yeah, if you, I don't think you should be altering someone's free will and autonomy by saying, I want you to fall in love with me. I think, um, I do think my views on doing spells for others are a little bit more lax than, I think, I think than Fern. Um, and I, I think a little bit from what you said, from what you read, um, in that, I mean, I, I don't think you should do anything in general that would alter someone's free will or make them do something or, you know, regardless of whether or not it works, that you have the intent that you want them to do something specific. I don't think that's good. But doing a spell for someone, like a health spell or... My mind just came up with a good vibe spell. <laughs> um, that, like I know, Fern, you talked about how you don't want to do any spells for someone unless you have their explicit consent. I don't know how that right. so, has changed or um, not. Yeah, so... What Rosemary is referring to is conversations outside of the podcast, yes. obviously. So I've kind of held the point that I feel that someone should be comfortable with any spell that I've done for them. Mm -hmm. I, would, I go back and forth between like needing explicit consent versus knowing that the wording or whatever it is cannot harm them can only give them insight or something of that sort. Mm -hmm. Now, something that might affect them physically or their mental health, I think I would prefer to know that they are comfortable with it. And part of that has to do with, I don't want to give my Catholic grandfather a spell. I don't want to do a spell for him, say for his health, unless that understanding is kind of i i would know that he's just thinking i would that he would just think i prayed for him mm -hmm. and then that would be his understanding of that spell i don't want to do something that could affect someone's spiritual or religious stance by helping them mm -hmm. that's I, part of it yeah and like i i have a, a roughly similar view but it's it's not a fully ironed out belief because I don't do a ton of spells for other people anyway, but I have the one thought of, because I equate spells a lot to prayers, not that they're exactly the same thing, that like, I don't mind that other people are praying for me. I'm sure my mom prays for me. That doesn't bother me, which then makes me feel like, like I, I pray for other people. I might do a spell for someone else. But that being said, I probably would not do a spell for my mom because I know she would be uncomfortable with it. If I was doing a spell for my brother who is an atheist, like I don't feel as much that I would talk to him about it because he's not going to believe in it. And it's just going to be, he's not, he might be like, thank you for thinking of me, but like, it's not going to 
right affect his moral his moral code or his beliefs right um but i also um, i I do want to clarify when i say do a spell for someone in this case mm -hmm. where like where my boundary is um it's more of like a physical act of making a potion or an offering um to the earth or a specific god which i don't really necessarily consider witchcraft but some would um that's kind of getting into the realm of spells versus prayers right mm -hmm. whereas stuff that is i guess it's kind of nuanced in the sense that something like i'm doing a healing focused meditation which in a sense is energy work so it could be witchcraft but um i'll talk about like catholic grandfather example if i am thinking about meditation and kind of something that I do sometimes is after I've been meditating for a little bit, I'll think about what in myself needs to be healed and who else might need a little bit of healing energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's okay because how that's going to influence them is kind of up to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm viewing it as giving them motivation or energy for their own healing and that my catholic grandfather he might get that little bit of energy for something and be like i want to go to an extra you know church event this week because i have the energy for mm -hmm. it yeah and that might be what what it does for him yeah and the kind of spells that i have done for other people like without their knowledge has been more about attracting good things to them um or like yeah attracting the right people which i'm not sure if that like the way you were talking red i don't know if you'd consider that necessarily m messing with others free will because when we're talking about love spells and you're talking about you should your spell should be very centered on you which is i think a fine way to do a love spell but i also would not think it unethical to do something that's like i wanted to attract love into my life i want to attract the right people because one it's not targeted at someone you're not saying i want them to love me you're kind of just like i am opening myself up in the hopes that i am attracting the right people and the people i need in my life um which is what and like that kind of similar idea is what i think i would be using for spells for other people the only thing this isn't quite ethics it's more so I don't know, a safety thing, but the thing that I would not do and I would generally advise other people to not do is I don't fuck with luck. I'm not going to do a spell for good luck. I'm not going to do a spell to get rid of bad luck. The only way I can see this connecting to ethics is just that I think it can get unsafe because luck to me just feels like such a fickle thing and you don't want to mess with that. If you want to mess with it with yourself, cool. Well, not also, with other people. Depends on your cultural view of what contributes the, to luck and what luck is. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yes. my view is just that it's it's too fickle of a thing, and you would have to be very specific, or which then could you, know, you get too specific? Like, I'm not gonna fuck with luck, and I don't think other people should. Less so from the ethics standpoint, as more so from the safety standpoint. Okay, but it kind of they get a little tangled there. Mm -hmm. Well. I mean, I would disagree with you because my view of luck, anything witchcraft is dealing with luck because you're dealing with an outcome. Now, that's my opinion. That's going to be different than yours, and that's fine. 
Um, but so I kind of want to bring it back. So we kind of really have gone into this idea of consent, kind of other people's autonomy. But I also want to mention that when you're looking at consent in a very like literal sense, when you're say you have a teacher, you're working in a group, if you are that teacher, your it is your responsibility. This is obviously my opinion, but I think a lot of people would agree with me. It is your responsibility to make sure that there's informed consent about the activities taking place and that your student who is going to take place in that activity can you can push their comfort zone, but that it is not something that they would inherently disagree with mm-hmm. or could harm them in any way, physically or mentally, um, outside of maybe like a little bit of a shock for a half hour. But if it's going to, I mean, this is an extreme example, but if your practice involves sex magic and you would like to show them how to do it, you should probably write it down, give them a step-by-step guideline that they can do in their personal time. You should not be the one doing it with them unless you agree with their long-term partner, whatever, but there is a dynamic where you are in charge and they are subordinate to you and you should absolutely not take advantage of that. It's clear-cut with sex magic, but in no other circumstance should you like treat a subordinate that way they you there's a power dynamic and it's going to make them very uncomfortable to refuse something yeah and you should be aware of that so i think kind of with with that like i think witchcraft ethical witchcraft acknowledges power dynamics and i would say that kind of what we see throughout history is that the witch the archetype of the witch is usually the one fighting against you know this 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 power structure hierarchical hierarchical hierarchy that exists <laughs> yes society. thank you <laughs> words are hard i speak english um and so you know if we're coming from this tradition of acknowledging that power structures do exist and um that the witch is really in the, the archetype of the rich witch is this person who either you know shrugs it off or at least you know, devises it in different ways, then yes, it's the responsibility of practitioners everywhere to acknowledge the power differentials. Because even going back to love magic, you as someone who has some sort of magical practice, who has found some way of whatever you believe about witchcraft, found some way to enact your will upon the world, and you are targeting someone who does not have that, you inherently have a different power structure than them. Mm -hmm. If you are getting a fellow witch and trying to make them fall in love with you, still not great, not fantastic, don't do that. But (laughs) again, mm -hmm. with consent, but Mm -hmm. at least they have the toolbox to, you know, put a middle finger up at you and go, the fuck, dude? Just ask me out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just with what you're saying, I I agree with it and I think it's really I think it's a point that doesn't really get talked about of viewing yourself of if you're targeting someone who does not know how to work with this power you kind of are at a at a higher you have more power than them and you should understand how that affects that dynamic but especially when we're talking about like Irish curses being the weapons of the marginalized 
like I don't think it's bad that people wanted to curse Trump because like we need like there are more power structures in place there right. that made Trump and like that administration have more power. Well, I think that's where we get into nuance is True. that individual practitioner might be more advanced, quote unquote, might have more power in the metaphysical and mm-hmm. the witchcraft and the magic. But in our actual world, you have an administration that has so much power over so many things that 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 dynamic isn't on par is yeah like you're not necessarily you can't you can't view you the practitioner and then trump as a singular person because that's not what that power actually equals out to Mm -hmm. it's like when people tried to curse the moon um why why first of all why second of all people trying to curse the fae <laughs> they curse and then also protect the fae and it's like neither neither of these things make sense <laughs> what are y'all doing but mm-hmm. i think just kind of going back to you know what we would consider ethical in our our, our practices i also i do want to say you know going to to what rosemary was saying about like the the power of the marginalized i think that someone's autonomy and consent if you're cursing them can be violated if they have done that to you right yeah Right. If if you know with, with your example of like stealing your your sheep, mm-hmm. if if your landlord steals your sheep, they have violated that boundary of hospitality of guest and um, being a good of being a good person of being considerate of respect of integrity. They have violated that. Okay, all bets are off. And then like. Not to bring it back again to Irish things, but like that just reminds me of like the geish and the idea of having a contract with someone. If that contract is violated, fuck you. All bets are off. We know, like, obviously there's more nuance there, but it's the idea of once that contract of respecting someone and, you know, respecting people as a human being, if that has been violated, the power dynamics have changed and the ethics in the situation have changed. Right. I would actually argue that the ethics haven't changed. Because if you are still that person, your ethics have been violated. Mm-hmm. You have a right as a person with autonomy to retaliate. I don't I don't take the, the view of turn the other cheek, unconditional mm-hmm. love for all human beings, because some people freaking suck. And I've really seen a movement on the internet uh, with the taking the read of do no harm, do what thou wilt, of do no harm, but take no shit. Mm-hmm. And for me, I don't think that your ethics have to go out the window when your boundaries have been violated, because ethically, I think that I as a human being have a right to protect myself mm-hmm. and I, my integrity and my hospitality and my respect are earned. Mm-hmm. If you do not earn them and if you violate them, again, that's why the Morrigan yeah. is the, the goddess of autonomy and warcraft. Yeah. If you violate her autonomy, if you violate this sovereignty, you're going to reap the repercussions and like yeah i just want to say i i agree with you and i would like to take back the way i said that um yeah no like i the way you're saying that is yeah i agree with you and that yeah because i i do want to be clear that i don't i just don't find cursing unethical there are situations where it would be unethical to use a curse but generally speaking a cursing is not 100% 100% of the time, an unethical thing to do and is not something that should be considered off limits. Okay. I think we have really hammered home the idea of a curse or something that affects another person. But let's 
talk about some other things that like I would recommend considering or we might. Um, so that was definitely absolutely on my list. Like consent, the idea of cursing, like you need to form your own opinion on cursing, but consent in a general sense should absolutely be honored. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that is kind of commonly mentioned and may or may not be a misconception because I don't necessarily think that this applies to everyone, but there is an idea that there in witchcraft and neo-paganism that we need to be connected to the earth or the natural world in some way. And that that is almost to not do so is makes you a bad witch, which I guess implies that's unethical. And so um, I just, my point here is just that that is a very common thing and is definitely something that not everyone does, though. Um, I wouldn't say glamour magic is the most connected to the earth you could be. If you're doing it with mud, that's maybe another story. <laughs> but um, I don't think that someone who solely practices glamour magic has is is lacking in moral value. Yeah, I, I see what you're I see what you're saying. And um I think I'm trying to find the words. Generally I would I would disagree with the idea that if you only do glamour magic, you're somehow a bad witch. More so because while doing witchcraft is obviously a very big part of being a witch. I mean, if that person is also respecting the earth and being reverential to the earth and you know trying to be as um environmentally conscious as is possible which is a different right because because like not everyone has the money or the position to be environmentally conscious but what you're saying is that they should be aware so i guess that is kind of maybe not that connection but um there is but it does get i would still argue it gets more complicated just i mean even without witchcraft from the idea of you know individual people can help the earth and can help things like global warming but it's the corporations that are fucking people up and that's not to say that you should stop trying to do things but putting that onus on yourself is not necessarily fair and there's you know privilege involved in there of who has money to buy the nice organic things and who has the time to research whether or not the nice organic things are actually good. That's where I was going to go, is like the nuance of... <laughs> yeah, like who Not has, always is organic then. Who has the time, who has the money, if you live in a city, like, how do you do it there? Like, et cetera, et cetera. I, w- I would say, though, no matter what magic you do, I would say that it should be done with at least the environment in mind so if you're only a glamour witch and you get a plastic bottle and fill it full of glitter and then pour that in the water that is unethical mm-hmm. it, like no I'm, I'm not saying that everyone who does witchcraft or consider themselves a pagan has to quote unquote have a nature spirituality or be connected to the earth and, and be a hippie and not wear shoes but i am saying that if you are in a position to do better then you should do better you don't have to do witchcraft that is connected to the earth and the elements and all of that stuff but you should still at least be mindful of 
how you dispose of witchcraft uh, products. If you're doing a jar that's glass and you put it into the ground, ground can sink and that can shatter and that can hurt people. Do not put salt in the earth. Do not poison the the dirt around you. If Practice If you're sense. leaving offerings out as part of a spell or as more of a you know spiritual practice, you know, try not to leave things out that are going to hurt the wildlife around you. Um, be careful about plants uh, like throwing out seeds because if they're, I don't know if you, how you would just like, don't just easy. think I'm going to do this green spell and like throw out seeds yeah. and I'm going to feel connected to the earth, but they're actually a bunch of invasive things that are not going to be good for the mm-hmm. earth. Like, don't do that. And yeah, I, I would agree that's a good way to think about how to keep mm-hmm. that connection with the earth. But yeah, I don't think it's bad to do, to be a uh, a purely glamour witch or something mm-hmm. okay well the end of that i guess bullet point is um you know i would say connection to the earth isn't necessary for witchcraft but others would disagree and mm-hmm. that's fine and personally my practice definitely does have those considerations and i think most people's do but um it's an assumption that i'm often that i've often seen made that um i just wanted to mention Mm-hmm. So, moving from that, uh, similar idea is, especially on the internet recently, I've seen this movement towards being aware of the sourcing of your tools and making sure that it's ethical. Um, now, what does ethical sourcing mean? You Typically, that's going to be, like, not something from that's causing um, harm to others by being, you know, collected, basically really poor working conditions, uh, you know, conflicts is being caused by the collection of this material um, and other things like that. And uh, personally, it wasn't something I really thought about for a while. And the reason I would say that that wasn't something that I thought about is because I'll walk into, again, I'm very privileged in where I live. I'll walk into a crystal shop and see all these crystals and um, I, for a while, never really considered where they came from. And that is something that a lot of people don't consider. And I've seen a movement or like a push towards ask the shop where they got their crystals. And I think that's a good idea. And that's something to consider. Um, another thing about that is if you are really low on money and you can't afford to spend a ton of money on your craft and maybe an ethically sourced tool is above your budget and you want a wand, um, it might be more sustainable to find a thick stick that fell on the ground in your local park and make your own. You don't have to spend $100 to have something ethically sourced. And what I also want to say is like, if you're, I don't know, hearing this and you were also like, oh my god, I've never thought about where the crystals come from, don't feel bad. I mean, like, it is a privileged place to be in, but it's, I 100% believe in, like, once you know better, then do better, but don't, you know, kill yourself over thinking about, oh my god, but I've got so many crystals, and what if I contributed to XYZ thing? Maybe you did, but you also were not the only person to you are not personally responsible for those things happening. But now that you know better, you can start to do better. Mm-hmm. And also what, I mean, 
generally important even before we talk about ethical sourcing, you don't really need a whole lot of tools to do witchcraft. And a lot of people want the tools because it makes you feel like you're authentic and it makes you feel like you're doing something and etc. But it's okay if you don't have them. It's okay if you need to, you know, find a workaround. And using a stick that you found when you went on a walk in the woods as a wand is not a bad thing. And you might feel more connected to that one. (laughs) And if you want to hold on to it until you have the money to buy that really nice ethically sourced one, cool. And it's, it's okay to wait and it's okay to figure out ways to do witchcraft things without the the materials that the internet says you need right and one other little thing about ethical like this isn't as big of a systemic issue as conflict areas with ethical sourcing but i also and this is me personally saying what i believe so you can take this with a grain of salt but it's important to me that something that is artistic and has artistic value is coming from the artist and that you're not buying the cheaper duplicate. Um, now, this isn't always going to be like very commonly seen in a witchcraft area, but if you have this, maybe there's a print that you feel very connected to and you would like, but you found it also on Etsy for some someone somehow made it cheaper, but they are not the original artist. There's a reason that the artist is pricing it that way and the time and effort they spent on it. Please do not buy the duplicate. If you would like to paint your own version inspired by it, I think that is much better than buying a replacement at a cheaper price on Wish.com or on <laughs> Etsy. Um, if you've ever made that mistake, it's okay. Just I personally believe that it's very important that artists aren't written off for the effort that they've done because something is expensive. I also think it's incredibly important, this is not ethics, just support your pagan artists, please, <laughs> no matter what, just please support them. Like, they're, they're, they're doing us a solid, keeping us going and giving us some really cool shit. Just support them. There's some really interesting artists and candle makers and soap makers and salt makers. Just, I, I think, kind of, it's just going back to, of just being conscious and just being aware and honoring the time that people put into things and if there isn't a respectful practice behind that thing if if these you know candles are made in, in factories that use child labor like yeah yes yeah. it does kind of go back to there might be a reason that it's cheaper and it might inherently disagree with your views on ethics and that you don't you don't need to research everything for 10 hours but um you know sometimes amazon is cheap because amazon has their ways of doing things yeah yeah and and then of course it's it's complicated because like fern is saying we're not saying research everything into oblivion don't do a single thing until you know everything about it because most of the time that's impossible and 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 again I've, i've tried and i promise you you will be in You'll be frozen with anxiety. <laughs> and, and oh my god, it is not the fun it is not a fun place to be. Yeah. And, and we can yeah. talk too about the privilege that comes with, you know, again, having the time to research all of these things and the wherewithal to do it. And it is very complicated and unfortunately it just comes down to 
you have to figure out where your own line is. Right. And moving into that, um, there are two other things I wanted to mention and that um, you, what I view as important is that we kind of touched on this throughout the whole thing, but you should be able to recognize first your places of privilege and that if someone calls you out on it, it's not to call you a shitty person. It is for you to kind of reflect on and recognize, oh, you know, I told someone they shouldn't have this crystal because it's unethically sourced, but I didn't consider that that's the only crystal they have and they bought it five years ago and they cannot afford another one. Whereas I have 105, you know, that's different. Um, their one purchase pro- possibly had less impact than what you've purchased. And maybe you purchased a bunch before you knew it was unethically sourced and then you threw them away. Is that any better? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, that's the kind of privilege we're talking about. And with that, one thing that is kind of important when you're working with craft and can help you grow a lot is recognizing your own flaws. And so the idea of shadow work, which is, you know, there, it's, a, it's a psychology term. It's kind of complicated. But um, one thing that I found really helpful and has kind of become a moral value for myself in my practice is that um, I know I am flawed. I hear what I say and I reflect on the things that I said that were wrong, not to the point of causing myself crippling anxiety because that is easy to do but on the the flip side I said this I should own up and apologize and what work do I need to do to recognize that I am biased or internalize this systemic issue and how do I break that apart so that's kind of something I because I would say that being an ethical person is how you be an ethical witch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being an ethical witch will make you, or, you know, again, chicken, ed, ed, edge. Chicken and ed. <laughs> edge, the, edge the, lord the, chicken. <laughs> edge lord chicken. That's what they call me. <laughs> it's Fern's official uh, nickname. Yes, Anyways, yes. But, but just this idea of, I think a lot of what we, we've kind of moved into saying is also a lot of just being an ethical person right and being a conscious person and being an aware person and that is going to make you an ethical Mm -hmm. witch if you are aware of where you're sourcing materials period end of statement if you are aware that you will make mistakes and you are not perfect and that you have really not a lot of authority to tell people on the internet how to live their life Mm -hmm. because they are flawed and you are flawed that you know that they're and on, and on is, the flip side of that i'm i'm talking nuances, well but, yes i'm i'm but i'm talking about like you need to throw out all your crystals because right. they came from this country and education is one thing shaming is another exactly and it's it's just be a decent human being mm-hmm. and if you are a decent human being and you put your values and your ethics into practice that will hopefully also be included in your witchcraft. I try to be very conscious of my environmental, you know, Mm -hmm. impact on the world. I do not, I give uh, alcohol offerings to the gods and spirits. Never pour it on the ground. I have a a dead 
log that has a kind of a crack in it and that's where all my alcohol goes it is contained within that dead log and we're gonna burn it one of these days and it's probably gonna go poof <laughs> like it does not go anywhere where that it would harm a living thing and that ties into religious views and witchcraft views so yeah i all i can say is just be a good freaking person <laughs> yeah like i mean we get you know obviously there are some things that ethical witches will think about that an ethical non-witch is your average person is not going to be thinking about whether or not it's ethical to cast a love spell um but don't get too caught up in the idea that being a witch sets you so far apart and makes you so different like you are still a human being participating in the same world and society that we are and functioning as an ethical person in that society will inform how you think about your practice and how you function as a witch and like they are very much inextricably linked right and on that note i do want to say if you find yourself in a circle that you might not agree with whether it be because uh, it is you can walk the line in paganism and witchcraft where you kind of end up in a circle that you might view as potentially problematic they might exclude men from practice exclude women from practice um you know homophobia sexism transphobia racism um i'm sorry but a black person can practice witchcraft just as well as a white person if an asian person wants to work with greek gods why is that a problem like Mm -hmm. uh and there are groups of people who have innately big issues with that and i will not even gonna argue i will say that is unethical and there's no argument yeah it is already unethical right it just makes you an asshole yeah so please just be aware that there are racist homophobic transphobic sexist people who are in these circles and you do not have to listen to them and especially you know if you are a white cis straight person it is it will probably be very easy for you to accidentally fall into one of these if you don't know what the signs are and how to look for them and you know unfortunately it's something we kind of have to be uncovered for we it would be wonderful if our religious spaces and spirituality um spaces were just completely free of any kind of bigotry but they are not <laughs> they are they are not and we have to keep an eye out and make sure that we are not adding to those spaces and we are trying to clean up those spaces whenever we can but i i, I would just say that i think it is the responsibility of an ethical witch and an ethical pagan who if you espouse to value a, a pluralistic worldview if you espouse to be part of a movement that is in the fringes really um that is welcoming to the weirdos and all of that that is diametrically opposed to white supremacy to transphobia to sexism to to racism and to uh, uh groups of people who exploit marginalized and indigenous spiritualities mm-hmm. those types of people unfortunately exist and for some reason they have decided to be part of these communities for the aesthetic or whatever else reason that they have decided and it is our job to not tolerate that behavior 
there is a lot of conversation of, uh, I've seen in certain communities about people who do not call out behavior within our communities because we are so small and we want to, you know, have this unified front and that there is nothing wrong and that pagans and witches are just kind of like, we love each other and it's free love. It's, it's not. And it is our responsibility as ethical people to call out this behavior. And mm -hmm. especially, you know, we were talking earlier about understanding power dynamics. Right. When you are a white cis straight person, you should understand the the place that you fill and how you can instrumentally change those places right. because we should not be putting that onto the people who are actively being harmed. They should not be the only ones that are fighting for this. Like, right. We also have to step up. And I will say if you are in a group setting, you are not a leader of this group and you find a member is saying, acting, doing something that might be or is explicitly um, bigoted if you are if you are in a safe space you should call it out is not your job to get yourself harmed to protect yourself um if you need to just leave and walk away but on the other hand mm -hmm. to make yourself uncomfortable to protect someone else is a different story yeah mm -hmm. yeah i would agree yeah an, an example, um, so when we were in our college group, we had a conversation about cultural appropriation. And there was um, a member who didn't quite, I think you, I think y'all mm -hmm. remember. Yeah, I don't know. If I definitely remember. Rosemary. Was I there? I don't, I don't think, think you were there. No, I think I got like the text like live. So there was just someone who had a... Um, I, I don't want to say ignorant, but it was basically ignorant and um, just ignorant and just didn't view cultural appropriation as a thing. Like it wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. And there was another uh, member who tried to explain it and, uh, you know, person of color. And she got really frustrated and really upset and walked out. And I say I would say the the time where I saw maybe a little light behind his beady eyes was when a fellow white cis male looked at him and said, hey, dude, I understand why you might think this, that it's not a thing, and that we're all friends now and racism is dead. Um, but think of it this way. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, I am so grateful that that actually just friend of mine happened to be there that time and that he said something because he wasn't a witch, he wasn't a pagan. He was just there because he was like, hey, people seem chill, you know, and it gave a lot of authority to what was being said, which is so sad that it, it had, that to, had, be. To, that, yeah. that had yeah. to happen. But, you know, unfortunately, one of those things that if you share an identity with a person who is arguing against something. It, and you can be like, look, dude, I can understand why you would think that. And I get it. Okay. But understand that we come from a different place and that we come with our own biases. And I, yeah, I really appreciate it because pretty much everyone there was, was female presenting. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if he would have taken it as right. well from us. And, well, you know. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, <laughs> like. And I do want to clarify, we had this one person of color who was 
very distraught and really like wanted this point to be understood. But we had probably one person saying cultural appropriation isn't a thing and maybe four or five people actively, you know, trying to explain it to him. And then that sixth person was that male presenting cis white person. Yeah. So and 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 unfortunately sometimes that is what it takes. Mm-hmm. Um and so to and just going back to ethics about mm-hmm. why we we brought that story up is you know and uh, being an ethical person is about recognizing the nuanced crazy world that we live in and that not everything is perfect and that just because I think there's a society that if you just educate someone, if you just tell someone the quote unquote truth, then the only reason they think this is because they're ignorant and thank you so much. As we've seen with the invention of the internet, <laughs> there is a plethora of information and yet still. Yeah. And yet still. Yeah. Um I like I will say that if you feel called to educate someone it's important, like, if you want to be effective, um, and this, this isn't just a witchcraft thing. Like, my my background is science. Um, my Some of my work I've done and some things I have published, not under the name of Fern, so you will not find it, but is, um, you know, communicating scientists, science to non-scientists, and you have to kind of separate yourself and find where the other person is. And so that's going to be the most effective way to do it. But, uh, you know, sometimes you can't just say, hey, I get why you're racist, but hear me out. <laughs> you know, you know. Melanin doesn't determine intelligence? Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clearly. Education is a long process. And, um, you know. You can say, you know what, you're not worth my time. You're just a bigot. Get out. Mm-hmm. Get out of my group. Yeah. Especially when it comes to your specific group of, you know, spirituality and, like, place to practice your religion. Education is good, and it's definitely admirable to try. But also, it's totally fine to just say, you are not making the space safe. You are not open to hearing anything else. You are not welcome here anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do not have to tolerate intolerance. Kind of bringing it back to to ethics and the ethics of witchcraft. Kind of what what would you guys say is? I don't want to say most important because that's a big question. <laughs> I would I would need to write some lists. But what is an important consideration for you um, ethically as a witch in today's society, what would you say is like a key consideration of what informs your ethics or how you, how you act ethically as a witch? Right. Um, this is interesting. This is a really good question. Mm -hmm. I think my evolving viewpoint, and the reason I say evolving is because I don't always act the way I think is best, but I try my best not to do the things I think are horrible and should never be done. <laughs> uh, but that the, if, the big question for me, I guess, is the action I'm taking, the effect I'm making, what impact do I want that to? It might be small, but on a bigger scale, if that was magnified, 
how would I want that to affect the world? Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I kind of kind of view it. So you gave this like really nice grand answer, um, and the thing that I am currently my brain is like circling back to is probably just autonomy, like that I I don't think you should. I think one of the pillars for me is I don't think I should do anything that alters someone's free will or makes them do something I think they should do even if I think they are actively harming themselves if you do a spell in that situation I think it should be more so for that person to have clarity and an open mind because then they're still gonna they're still going to come to their own conclusion and it might still be the wrong conclusion but that's sometimes the best you can do and yeah I think I think for me right now I'm coming to autonomy is just imposing your will on someone else is not good. And aside from cursing when it's justified, I can't think of another reason that you shouldn't do that. I I couldn't agree more. I I would say, you know, that, that you guys have both um, said things that I, I would definitely say, and I want to echo. And I think um, to add something as well for me, as I've developed my practice of witchcraft, but also just religion, something for me that's been so important in terms of ethics has been integrity and acting in a way that is honoring of my own values and my respect. And I think that that integrity is anchored in the fact that I believe I am inherently in a uh, fallible, not infallible. <laughs> I am, I am fallible. <laughs> and that I, the way that I view the world is my view and that is true to me. But I need to act like everyone has that. Mm -hmm. And so when I am doing a spell for myself or towards someone else or on behalf of someone else, I am always operating with the integrity of, you know, not only like Fern said, what do I want to put on the world, but also of acknowledging that I have my own views and my own way of thinking of things and that is perfectly fine and that has actually been a thing that has stopped me from doing multiple kind of things towards other people because I realize okay this is how I want things to go and that's not necessarily how maybe they need things to go in their life so I'm instead of doing a curse or a malicious spell or something like that, I'm just going to deal with me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and be someone who has integrity and honor and respect for myself and move on with my life. Right. <laughs> and one thing I do want to say that others, one instance in my life, one person in particular, that for years I went back and forth on whether or not I should curse them in this massive way. And my end kind of solution not even solution but conclusion was this person in particular is has no no personal moral value no personal ethics no personal like they disempower themselves so much that i don't need to do it (laughs) that i let them go the way they're going and give them no catalyst to change it 
is probably the best spell I could ever do. I was, I, you couldn't, you couldn't have said it perfect. Like, Fern, that is exactly what I mean. <laughs> the, the people that I have, like, contemplated, should I do something? And then I see where they are in life and I go, oh, that's even better than what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. Uh, you go ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep fucking up your life. You have, it's just awful. Um, I don't think that everyone who's done something bad will have their comeuppance. Unfortunately, I think life is unfair, but if, if they're, you know what, creating their own hell. Yeah. That is beautiful. Let that gem, Mm -hmm. let that flower, that evil flower continue to bloom. Right. (laughs) Like self-hatred is a strong spell and I, you know. Won't help you break out of it. <laughs> I love that. I don't want to give you a catalyst to change. You keep sucking. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone yes. for listening. Yeah. Um we we're gonna end this podcast here. Yep. And um, yes. Make sure, you know, if you are looking to be more connected to us or you wanna you know, follow us and see what we're doing. You can find us on Instagram at Three of Witches and also Twitter at Three of Witches. Uh, and we will see you again in about two weeks. Yes. Thank it- you guys. Thanks for getting in this far. Woo! <laughs>